The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 214 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. After retiring from medical practice, I became an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is untimely support for children with mental health challenges and family caregivers. Timeliness in getting support for children with mental health challenges is always important and it can be especially important because of urgencies that occur when a family member with a serious illness has stopped taking essential medications or is severely depressed or is showing signs of dangerous behaviour such as addiction problems, self-harming including talking about or even attempting suicide and threatening violence against others. Timeliness in getting support for children with mental health challenges may be vital. That's because even though medical care is often essential, it may be insufficient. Timeliness in getting support for family caregivers caring for children with mental health challenges is always necessary because without it, family caregivers may become exhausted by the psychological stress and physical strain and also the financial pressures because families may be undermined even to the point of breaking up and because care for the children with mental health challenges may be undermined. All of which is why our topic, untimely support for children with mental health challenges and their family caregivers, is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Tamara Hill. Now, Tamara is an integrative therapist who works in Pennsylvania. She uses cognitive behavior therapy and specializes in child and adolescent behavioral and mood disorders, including trauma. She works with families to help them understand their options within the mental health systems. She helps children utilize their strengths in the home, school and community. She's passionate about empowering families to gain further knowledge and rediscover authentic living. She understands the challenges in the mental health systems that challenge families and family caregivers. A training in counselling psychology taught her practical and professional lessons about healthcare systems and the various legal, financial and insurance related challenges for family caregivers. And through her blog, Psych Central, she promotes her services to families and family caregivers who feel alone in the system. So welcome to the show, Tamara. Hi, Dr. Gordon. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Great. So let's get your, your first question going. Please tell us 
something more about your personal story and how you became interested in the work you do. Sure, absolutely. Well, I have both personal and professional experience with this topic. Um, personal experience through a family friend and uh, a distant relative. Um, and uh, it, it's tough, really, uh, trying to deal with, with family members uh, who have to be in the system. Um, so, you know, I definitely will touch on that a little bit later as well. Professionally, um, I started at a small college uh, majoring in psychology and forensic psychology. Um, I wanted to understand the intersection between or the relationship between the law and psychology. Um, and so I studied forensic psychology for some time. Um, I did some work in labs, and I visited courthouses in cases involving uh, juvenile delinquents. Um, from there, my interest was piqued um, after meeting various parents in the court system. Uh, so I went on to graduate school to train in counseling psychology, and uh, I focused on children, adolescents, and families there providing trauma-informed care um, and working a lot with behavioral and mood disorders, depression, ADHD, things of that nature. Right. Now, tell us about your work as a professional mental health therapist for families. Tamara? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I have restructured my, my career, so I'm no longer in forensics. Um, I still have knowledge. <laughs> but um, now I'm focusing on parents, families, and caregivers uh, in consulting and advocating and speaking on topics uh, that I am passionate about and that a lot of families are passionate about. Um, and I just recently wrote and finished my first book, so it's 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 my career is focused mainly on parents, families, and caregivers, offering the evidence in such a perplexing system as, as the mental health system. Now, I want you to highlight for us the frustrations family caregivers experience in obtaining timely psychotherapy and mental health services for their children and their families. Tamara? Absolutely. You know, I think that um, there are three big problems with the system, and it frustrates families 100%. Um, the first problem is that families, parents, and caregivers, they often feel alone, confused, and overwhelmed in the system. You know, they search out multiple resources only to find, Dr. Garden, that they are still confused and unclear what to do. There are lots of resources, but there's no one to really sit down and, and help them understand what they're looking at. The second problem is that they have trouble getting treatment for their loved ones, especially if that person doesn't believe that they need treatment. And the final frustration for a lot of families Age, You know, age causes multiple barriers in securing treatment. If a child is 14 years of age, especially in the United States, sometimes 16, they can reject treatment on all levels, medication, therapy, uh, hospitalization. So parents are no longer valued participants in treatment, and this is a big frustration for families. Let's go into a little more detail about that. How does it come about that children in that age range, 14, 16, and I presume beyond, um, can reject treatment um, and, as if I've understood you right, basically exclude their families or their family caregivers from any of the treatment-related decision-making? First of all, have I got that right? And if I have, please could you say more about it? 
Absolutely. You are correct. You know, I call them age of consent laws. And basically what what that means is that a 14-year-old or 16-year-old is given a legal right to make treatment decisions. It doesn't make sense to me, and it doesn't make sense to a lot of families. Why that law is in place, I'm not entirely sure. But in my experience uh, within hospitals and school settings, once that individual reaches the age of 14 or 16 in some locations, they can reject treatment, uh, they can reject medication, they can reject therapy, they can refuse to go to therapy. Basically, the 14-year-old is seen as an adult, and so at that particular age, they make all kinds of treatment decisions, and for the most part, Dr. Gordon, they reject treatment. Uh, this is very problematic. I also give families the example of our alcohol laws. Uh, kids cannot drink alcohol legally until the age of 21. So why is it that kids at the age of 14 or 16 can make treatment decisions? It's a very contradictory law, and it doesn't make sense. Let's go into that even more. Um, here are children with mental health challenges, mental illnesses, um, mm -hmm. that may cause them at particular times for a particular period to mm -hmm. not think straight, to um, become overtaken by strange ideas, hear voices, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and yet, if I've understood you right again, the law seems not to take any account of the point that they may, in fact, these young people, be unable at particular times to make decisions which are in their own best interests. Is that right? Yeah. Absolutely. You are correct. You know, there's a prominent case that just occurred as of February of this year right here in Pennsylvania, um, and um, it, it's, it's literally so close to my home I can touch it. It was a grandfather and a mother um, uh, living in, in a house together. Uh, the grandparents were actually uh, raising the young male, and he ended up murdering his grandmother uh, because he was delusional. Um, he began to hallucinate, and he thought that his, his grandmother uh, was, was a witch, was, was a devil. And so out of nowhere, he murdered her. The problem with this case was that the mother and the grandparents tried to get this individual mental health treatment. The problem was that the individual, once diagnosed, was over the age of 14. And so the parents were excluded. The grandparents were excluded. They're basically considered, quote-unquote, outsiders. No one can step in and get an individual treatment if they are 14 years of age and older. As a result, we have high murder rates. We have high rates of homelessness. We have high rates of violence. According to the Treatment Advocacy Center in Arlington, Virginia, Dr. Gordon, there are multiple studies that show a connection between homelessness and lack of treatment. About 200,000 individuals are homeless because of a lack of treatment. About 300,000 individuals are incarcerated because they have not been able to get treatment because of age. Age is a big factor here. You're talking about them not receiving treatment. Sometimes, is this true, sometimes some of these young people go to addictive drugs, street drugs and things like that because they see those as a treatment for their condition. Now, first, again, first of all, once again, am I right about that? And secondly, if I am, what, what's your view of it? Oh, absolutely. You are correct about that. It's called self-medication. 
basically what the individual is doing, they're self-medicating their illness because they are not getting the appropriate treatment. I have met countless, countless, countless uh, adolescents uh, and young adults who believe that marijuana is actually better than a psychiatric medication. There's less stigma attached as well. So most youngsters will turn to marijuana or substance <laughs> abuse um, as a result. Um, of a psychiatric problem. It's usually bipolar disorder or schizophrenia where you will see high rates of drug abuse. Let me just follow up with you, Tamara, on that. Um, this is a serious state of affairs you're describing, and if I can put it rather bluntly, are there any movements that are trying to bring what I might call common sense to the law in these sorts of situations you've been talking about? Tamara? Uh yeah, oh my God, that's such a wonderful question. I hate to say this, but the answer is no. Um, actually, in the United States, marijuana has been legalized. And so a lot of individuals are going to be ingesting marijuana now and probably for psychiatric illnesses. Um, I don't know if there's any common sense left uh, in these issues. And that's one of the reasons why I'm glad we're having this discussion. Right. Now, time for the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Tamara Hill. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. Michelle Core Six Degrees is your connected consciousness. Six Degrees is what comes around, goes around radio. Committed to delivering a fresh perspective on thought-provoking, investigative information that can change your life. Six Degrees connects you to the social and emotional scene and is your trusted advisor from finance to romance, mainstream to metaphysical. It's a positive, upbeat look at life, love, and the pursuit of passion. Get connected Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program... 
please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Tamara Hill. Our topic is untimely support for children with mental health challenges and their family caregivers. Let's now talk about the difficulties experienced by family caregivers in getting timely psychotherapy and mental health services for their children and for their families. So first of all, Tamara, please describe to us the most difficult of the difficulties that family caregivers experience in getting timely psychotherapy and mental health services for their children and for their families. Tamara? Absolutely, sure. I think there are two big issues uh, that are the most difficult for families. The first one is civil commitment, and the second one is the 72-hour hold that occurs in the civil commitment. Civil commitment includes two things, involuntary commitment and voluntary commitment. Voluntary commitment means that you can sign yourself into a hospital, you agree that you need treatment. Involuntary commitment says you do not believe you need treatment, but you're going to be hospitalized against your will because you are a danger to yourself or others. Here in the United States, and I believe in Canada as well, we have what is known as dangerousness criteria. The dangerousness criteria says that a person must be a danger to self or others within a 30-day period, almost to say that we can predict when a person is going to be dangerous. And the second part of the dangerousness criteria is that you must have a detailed suicide or homicide plan. So an example of that would be, I want to kill myself tomorrow at 5 p.m. That's a detailed suicide plan or a homicide plan that's detailed. I want to kill person B on a bridge Friday when they meet me. If a loved one meets both of those criteria, a detailed plan, and a danger to self or others, they will be hospitalized. The problem with this criteria is that it's black and white, and it's too narrow, and it's outdated. A lot of families have family members who are suffering from a severe mental illness, yet they are not necessarily um, giving a detailed homicide or suicide plan. They are prostituting themselves. They're using um, unclean needles in, in drug abuse situations. They're drinking way over the legal capacity and getting behind the wheel. And they are also homeless. About 200,000 individuals are homeless, according to the Treatment Advocacy Center. So this criteria has become actually a barrier, Dr. Gordon, to individuals getting hospital treatment. If you don't meet those two criteria, you're not going to be hospitalized. As you say, that's a very narrow basis, and it doesn't take account, does it, of the nature of many of the mental health conditions we're talking about. Um, now, I just want to ask you really to describe the particular difficulties that arise for family caregivers when their family members are involved not only with the mental health services but also with justice systems. That is to say they've been arrested, uh, maybe going to court. Please talk about those difficulties as they arise for families and family caregivers. Absolutely. And, and this is great because I can also just kind of slip in the 72-hour hold um, uh, situation as well. You know, families often are fearful that their loved ones who are not treated 
um, or they have a severe mental illness, such as schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, they're fearful that their loved ones are going to end up in a criminal justice system. We have what is known as a 72-hour hold. That's when a hospital will will um, hospitalize an individual against their will, but they will only legally hold them for 72 hours. During that time, a loved one is getting medication, they're getting therapy, they're getting supervision. After they are released after 72 hours, they are released into the community. Sometimes um, uh, they lose sight of what they should be doing. So they stop taking medication, they stop, you know, attending therapy, and they end up back in the hospital or in the criminal justice system. The problem with that is that uh, individuals who are in the criminal justice system who have mental health problems, they are being labeled criminal. I think that's one of the biggest injustices so far. An individual who has a mental health problem is not a criminal just because they do criminal things. Um, an individual who is delusional, uh, who believes something that's not true, uh, the government's chasing me or I'm, I'm being uh, threatened, those type of delusions can cause an individual to fight police officers, to fight law enforcement. That can end them in jail. It doesn't mean that they are a criminal. The other problem that family members uh, have with the criminal justice system is our police force. Unfortunately, they are not trained to issues of mental health, but they are first responders. So if something happens, they're the first on the scene when an individual with a severe mental illness is acting out, not a mental health therapist. So they need a lot of training, not only to protect themselves, but to protect society and the individual with a severe mental problem. I'm going to ask you um, something, another question, which in a way relates quite deeply to what you've been saying, and that's this. Family caregivers need information of a medical nature about their family members. In other words, what does, does my child have bipolar disorder or schizophrenia? And what can the medical system tell me about the risks associated with that? What, what should I look for? And where shall I go for help? Now, I want you to describe any obstacles that you, in your experience, are encountered by family caregivers in getting medical and health information about their family members from the mental health system. Tamara? Oh, my. This is one of the biggest issues, and it's very, very overwhelming for families. There are two big problems. One is confidentiality, which is your legal and ethical right to privacy in any healthcare setting. And the second is HIPAA. Um, and HIPAA is basically, um, you know, a healthcare act that was passed. For the U.S., it was 1996. And for Canada, I believe it was 2004. These acts were passed to protect your loved one's healthcare information. If you have a loved one who is receiving care you will not receive any information as a family member, a parent, a caregiver on what's going on in their treatment. You cannot, you cannot get information regarding therapy, medication administration, whether they are adhering to taking their medication. Um, if a loved one is hospitalized against their will, you will not be told what hospital room they're in, what medication they have been uh, put on, uh, if they were compliant or not. The other thing is the age of consent barriers I mentioned earlier. HIPAA 
allows 14-year-olds to keep information private from their parents. So parents will not uh, typically know if their children are being promiscuous, if their children are engaging in drugs. That's usually up to the discretion of the therapist. And this is where confidentiality comes in, that moral and legal right to privacy. If you have, for example, a 14 or 16-year-old who has the legal right to refuse treatment, they could, let's say in this instance, accept treatment. Um, They are on drugs or being promiscuous. That information will not be given to the parent. It's because of confidentiality. Now, there are three exceptions to confidentiality. One is if a therapist knows that you want to kill yourself, kill someone else, um, or you are being abused. That's the only time that a family can get medical or mental health information from their, their, their loved one. Tamara, all those things you've been talking about seem to raise a contradiction. All the obstructions to getting information that you've described, all the confidentiality rules and all those kinds of things make it very, very difficult for family caregivers to care for their family members. Yet at the same time, healthcare systems, governments and all the rest of them are wanting more and more healthcare to be delivered at home. Isn't that a contradiction? I would say it is. Yes, I would. There is, I think there's one way, though, that families can um, actually step in. Um, It is a huge contradiction. But if a loved one gives another individual a written consent to take care of them, that's the only way that they can do it. So I usually recommend that families look into what is known as a psychiatric advance directive, a living will. Um, And I will certainly give the website later. Um, Or give, um, uh, I'm sorry, or get um, a power of attorney. Um, Those are the only two uh, times when a family member, a loved one, a caregiver can step in and actually care for the individual with a mental health problem. Tamara, what you've been saying, namely that there is a way around, like getting some kind of legal authority, power of attorney or substitute decision-making, those kind of things, whereby that challenge of not being able to be informed by the healthcare system can be overcome. The problem, however, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later, with that is that sometimes the young adults, the children 14 to 16, may not be willing to give their parents this power of attorney. And that creates a difficulty for everyone. Now, I don't think there's an immediate solution to this, but just very quickly, in 30 seconds, um, Tamara, have you come across that problem? I have, and way too often. I've actually had parents come into my office crying, I need my child to get psychiatric treatment. Yes, it's, it's very, very difficult, and uh, a lot of kids say, I don't want to give my parents 100% control over me, so they reject it, and that's where we have the biggest problem in psychiatric care. Right. Now, it's time for us to take a break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Tamara Hill. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back.
what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host. For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Tamara Hill. Our topic is untimely support for children with mental health challenges and their family caregivers. Uh, Let's talk about the help needed by family caregivers in caring for children and families and in getting the timely help that they need, the timely services. So what help, Tamara, do family caregivers need to overcome the obstacles that obstruct family caregivers in caring for children and families and in getting the timely services that they need? Tamara? Uh Absolutely. Well, you know, I think one of the most important things is to increase the length of stay for lethal patients in hospitals or lethal clients. The biggest issue, as we we discussed earlier, Dr. Gordon, was the 72-hour hold. That's not long enough to stabilize anybody who is dealing with a severe mental health problem. So one of the first changes that we need to make in in our system uh, in Canada and in the United States is to increase the length of stay on a case-by-case basis. We also need to change our outdated 
narrow policies. The dangerousness criteria was adopted in 1964 by the District of Columbia, and later California adopted its policies as well. And California here in the United States is the trendsetter. So whatever California does, every other state and maybe even country follows suit. So that's the problem. We need to change our, our outdated policies. The second thing that we need to do um, is educate families. A lot of families, caregivers, parents are lost in the system. They don't have one particular place that they can go and have all of their questions answered. As a matter of fact, some families actually feel like they're asking too many questions because that's how lost they feel in the system. Um, and unfortunately, therapists cannot give families all of their time. So families are cut short. What we need is a place, free seminars, local classes, events, online classes that are free, um, you know, for families where they can go and get their questions answered and their concerns dealt with. I also think, Dr. Gordon, we need to enforce assisted outpatient treatment. That's basically court-ordered medication and outpatient therapy. With this, and I think that this is perfect, the Treatment Advocacy Center here in Arlington, Virginia, uh, supports it. Um, and basically what happens is treatment must be pursued. If you reject treatment, that's further basis for hospitalization or evaluation. The case comes before a court and all of the evidence uh, is reviewed before an individual is court-ordered to take medication or to get further treatment. So we definitely need to look at AOT, assisted outpatient treatment, and see in what capacities this system could be implemented across the country, and maybe even in Canada. Tamara, I want to just ask you um, about something that flows back into what you've just been talking about, and that is the help that family caregivers need in getting the information they need and require when they're struggling with all the issues that you're talking about. And I'd just like to test an idea with you. Doctors and nurses use things called clinical practice guidelines. These are written documents which represent the best of medical or nursing opinion about what to do, what the best thing to do do or prescribe is in the face of particular clinical situations. Um, what I'm wondering about is whether for family caregivers there could be something called a family caregiver guideline to help them understand the disease, the treatment, the rules and all those kinds of things to guide them and also to help them voice criticisms of things that aren't working well. Tamara, what do you think? I think that's awesome. I actually like the idea of the clinical practice guidelines. Unfortunately, I'm not aware of anything like that here in the United States. Um, you know, that would be wonderful if it if it if something like that did exist here. Unfortunately, a lot of families end up learning about the system the hard way after experiencing it for years on end. They actually go to each other. So there's parent support groups that they go to. There's NAMI, the National Alliance uh, on Mental Illness. Um, we don't have anything, uh, clinical practice guidelines here in the United States that I'm aware of, um, which is one of the reasons why I wrote my book. Um, I wrote my book for families, which focuses um, on, you know, what can I do if I'm in this situation? What questions do I need to ask if my loved one's hospitalized? Those kind of issues are found uh, in my book uh, coming out uh, early uh, 2014. Um, we don't have anything, and, and so that's one of the reasons why you get authors 
uh, writing books to, to fill the gap. We have a lot, a lot of holes in the system. What's the name of your book? <laughs> um, the name of my book is uh, Mental Health and a Failed American System, What Parents, Families, and Caregivers Need to Know. So it will be available April 2014. I'm excited about it. I think this is wonderful. It's going to fill the hole, the gaps that a lot of families, uh, they're just they're very confused. So the book is there to give them some guidance. Excellent. Now, talking of guidance, Tamara, please tell us about the help that you provide for family caregivers caring for children and families, particularly when they're experiencing obstacles of all kinds. What do you do in your practice to help them? Sure. Well, a, a lot of times what I do, um, because I am still uh, in training for my license, I usually go <laughs> to someone who can give me some insight. That's number one. For the most part, um, I am a consultant, so I will give parents and families uh, the knowledge that they need to be empowered. I'm of the firm belief that self-knowledge is important. Self-knowledge Knowing what you need to do in the system, knowing what position you need to take leads to empowerment. And so you need to be empowered in this system. Unfortunately, the mental health system is overworked. Um, the resources are very low. And a lot of therapists don't have a lot of time to spend with families. So for the most part, responsibility will be on the parent. So my job is to give them information that they can use to help them with their child. Now, talking about information, again, this raises another point, which is that when patients, families go to doctors, very often everybody is very busy. Um, yeah. There's some rapid talk, and then the family member and the family caregiver go home, and they start to wonder what they've been listening to, not because what they're listening have been listening to is wrong, but because they didn't take in enough of it to really get the message. And I've heard time and time again on this show how there's a need for information to follow up a diagnosis that a doctor or a nurse has made uh, so that they can figure out what it means what's going to be done, what's got to happen, and what their role is in helping the person for whom the diagnosis has been made. What do you think about that? Doctors are usually very overworked. <laughs> and a lot of families, <laughs> yeah, they are. And a lot of families say, I feel rushed when I go into the doctor's office. I have, a li I have a listing of questions in my head, but I never can get the second question out because I'm either cut off or the doctor's being called or the therapist. I mean, a lot of families, they have questions. Uh, one family came to me, and they had two, two sheets of questions. And, you know, in the agency that I was work working in at the time, I was told that I could only give them 30 minutes of my time. And so it's, it's frustrating because I will get emails or phone calls. I mean, it's, it's a very difficult system. So there are definitely resources uh, for families. You know, again, NAMI, uh, discussion groups, books, anywhere where you can get your question answered, you're going to have to do the research on your own, unfortunately. So really what it comes to, am I right, that support for family mm -hmm. caregivers and their members really does involve information and explanation so that the listeners understand everything they need to understand to cope with the challenge that um, the condition represents for the individual, 
for the family and for the family caregivers. What do you think about that? Yes, you are absolutely correct. And that's why I say self-knowledge is important. A lot of the pressure is going to fall back on the family. Families usually think, if I go to a therapist, if I go to a specialist or, an, or someone who does assessments, a doctor, but they're going to be there to hold my hand. And the sad reality is that they're not. They're, they're, I, I kind of liken uh, the mental health system to a gas station. You're just going to go in and get the gas that you need to fill up so that you can go off on your own independently. And that's what the mental health system is. You're going to get a little bit of information, but then they're going to let you go. So it's really important to understand where, where you need to position yourself in this field. It's, it's perplexing even for individuals such as myself who work in the field. I often have to go to other more experienced people to get information. So I'm going to ask you, then does that mean that people like you, professionals like you, Tamara, more and more of their role is going to be in this explanation and information support, not at the expense or exclusion of their other services like psychotherapy, but in addition to it. Do you agree with that? Yes, I do. I do. The unfortunate part of that statement is that therapists are trained to do psychotherapy. They're not trained to give information. Um, I hope I'm answering the question, uh, you know, directly. Um, but, you know, a lot of therapists are not trained to give information. They're trained to just do psychotherapy. Social workers and case managers, as well as, as, well as clinical coordinators, are there to give resources and information to families. Unfortunately, a lot of families never reach out to them. So they come to the therapist with a need for resources. And a lot of times, Dr. Gordon, therapists are not prepared because they're not trained to give resources. So someone like myself, I've had to do a lot of personal research, a lot of uh, personal asking of questions just to, to gather information that can help families. We're not trained to give resources. And, and that's, that's, that's negative for families who come to us needing information. So that's another challenge that's got to be addressed uh, in yeah. such a way that people like you do get your training that you need um, because there can never be too much in the way of training and knowledge and experience. Now, on that point, uh, it's time for a short break. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Tamara Hill. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CGMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Power River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Tamara Hill. Our topic is untimely support for children with mental health challenges and their family caregivers. I want to talk tomorrow about more things that you want to do and you want to see done to help family caregivers in caring for children and families in all the ways you've been talking about so they get timely psychotherapy and mental health services and the information they need. So, Tamara, first question, what more do you want to do and see done to provide help that is truly helpful for family Mm -hmm. caregivers caring for children and families when it comes to getting timely psychotherapy and mental health services? What do you want to see done? What do you want to do? Sure. I think one of the first things uh, that I want to see done is families, parents, and caregivers, they have to become the center of attention. They are basically the minority in the field of of psychotherapy and in mental health. They're ignored. Why? Um, I'm I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a lack of knowledge in the field, if it's a lack of understanding of what caregivers go through, but I want to see them uh, become the center of attention. They usually go home after a therapist to hospital releases a patient, the caregiver, the parent, the family member is the one that has to carry the rest of the weight. So they need uh, as many resources as they can possibly get. Um, I want to see age of consent laws increased. Kids who are 14 years old should not have the legal right to make treatment decisions on their mental health. Kids have enough uh, trouble making uh, moral decisions, much less mental health decisions. If the drinking age is 21, I think uh, the age at which mental health treatment decisions can be made should be 21 as well. We also need to enhance our civil commitment laws. We need to change them. They're too narrow. They're too black and white. We need to change them, broaden the criteria, or change it completely. Loved ones need to have their family members hospitalized should have the right 
to give a therapist an explanation as to why that loved one needs to be hospitalized. It may not be a detailed homicide plan. It may not be a detailed suicide plan. It might just be promiscuous behaviors, drug abuse, homelessness. So these things need to be considered uh, under the civil commitment policies. We need to change these laws. Right. Now, what more do you want to see done to improve all the things you you've talked about to improve the health, but the things provided by the mental health services to family caregiving and mm-hmm. caregivers. What do you want how do you want, in other words, the mental health services to be more helpful to the people who are carrying the burden? Sure. I think family members uh, really do need more information, and I think I've just been playing that same old song the whole the whole segment. But but that's one of the biggest issues, and uh, I think you know the mental health system really needs to start reaching out for families. The mental health system is mainly motivated by insurance, mainly motivated by diagnoses, mainly motivated by the, the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. That's the document that labels a loved one bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. So the mental health field is motivated by all the wrong things, unfortunately. Um, We need to focus our attention as mental health therapists on the family. A lot of times, families are barred barred from receiving treatment because of insurance. Sometimes insurance uh, companies do not believe loved ones need treatment, and so therefore families are, are rejected. So we need to really focus our lens on and, and family needs and uh, less on the politics. Talking of the politics, though, Tamara, um, there is a point about politics which really comes down to people having a voice in the system, that is, family caregivers, and for that matter, people like professionals like you. Um, But their voice has to be loud enough and there has to be enough of them speaking the things to draw attention to say exactly the kind of things you've been talking about. Time to update the law, time to support family caregivers with information, time to get round the obstacles that are created by consent and those kinds of things. Yes. That becomes, if you like, it's not partisan politics, but it's the politics of people. What do you say to that? I think that's a very good point. And one of the biggest issues, and I'm glad you brought this up, is that a lot of families do not know where to turn to to have their voices heard. And I think at some point we become desensitized or um, we become uh, sort of used to hearing um, about mental health advocacy. And so, you know, another group comes out and advocates you know, who doesn't? And I think that's the attitude of most Americans, and it needs to change. Um, the biggest issue that we have is that families do not know where to turn to have their voices heard. A lot of times they're so depressed and discouraged because they're an overwhelmed caregiver that they don't want to write their senator. They don't want to write their representative. They don't think it's going to be heard. I mean, I experienced that discouragement myself. I mean, I've written my senators and representatives uh, multiple times for loved ones, uh, for loved ones, for friends, for clients, and I usually get an automated letter back. <laughs> so discouraging. Um, there, there's very little connection uh, with a human being who actually can sit down and hear what you are saying. It's very, 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 very difficult for families. So what that comes back to then is 
getting the voice of family caregivers heard uh, in this new world because things like you and I talking on internet radio um, <laughs> are using a new technology. Uh, it's not so new, but it's a new way of using a technology which brings your voice to our listeners. Um, many times it's family caregivers. That's the way it should be. And sometimes it's the high-power high specialists who are talking. But the whole emphasis that I want to see, and I know you support, is providing information which makes the argument that family caregivers should not feel alone because there are others struggling with the same challenges. And you've said that during the course of this episode. Please just quickly say something more about addressing the loneliness, the aloneness of family caregivers when something strikes, like a diagnosis of schizophrenia. Absolutely. You know, it's very, very difficult, and this is why I just want to encourage families, parents, and caregivers to contact someone that you feel comfortable with, ask them questions, ask them to support you. Sometimes you just have to have a good cry as well. Sometimes that's an emotional release that you need. It's fearful. It's a fear, fearful situation. It will make you fearful. Um, it will make you question uh, why you're where you're at. Um, but just know that there are people like myself, Dr. Gordon, and other people uh, who are advocating for you. We're, we're standing in the gap. We're trying to help you. Um, because we realize that, that you are a very vulnerable population because you are not paid attention to. I want to also encourage you to engage in self-care. Um, take time out for yourself because you cannot be a help to your family if you are not well. So take time for yourself. Stress can sneak up on you. I've experienced burnout. It's not fun. So take time out for yourself. Uh, make sure that you do some introspection, some spiritual introspection, and uh Tamara, that was a marvelous message to family caregivers. Um, I can only say to you all strength to you and to them and to everyone because all the things you said matter so very much. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time on this episode, which has been wonderful. So I want to say thank you very much. Tamara, for sharing with us all your thoughts and experience, your insights and your advice. And I want to say to you, all success to you in your work and also with your book. Um, we're looking forward to that being published and I hope that we'll do an episode when it is published so you can <laughs> tell us about it and talk about it. I, I want to Great. I would like to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. And in our next episode, we'll talk about privacy and the family genetic inheritance. Please join us. Same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 